My name is Chris. If we haven't met, hi. Uh, we've been in a series called Seven, where we've been looking at the seven deadly sins, which we just thought would be the nicest, most fun way to celebrate summer um, by talking about sin for seven weeks. Uh, and so, but we started off at the beginning um, because there is something important about starting from the right place. You can't just jump right into the middle. We have to start in the right place. And so just as a reminder, where we start, the most important thing about you and the most important thing about me uh, is not that you are sinful. Although maybe you grew up in a church or in a family or around people that would want you to believe that, that that is the most defining characteristic of who you are, is sinful, shameful, how dare you, lowliness. I grew up in a world where that was kind of my understanding. and that was, I, I thought that that was the most important thing for me to know about Christianity is that I am so bad. And you are. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, there is brokenness. We do have struggles and addictions and we make bad choices. But that's not the most important thing about you. The most important thing and what we spent the first week and, and some other time spending on this topic is that you are Loved. That is the original, that is the primary place, that's where we start from, is that God loves you as you are, without cleaning anything up, without fixing anything, without getting rid of addictions or habits or overcoming struggles. It is a deep love for you as you are, and he accepts you, and when we put our trust in him, we are forgiven for all of our past and all of our future mistakes, and nothing we can do can change that. And so because we start off from this place of being loved and confident and and known by God, valued by God. He sees us as his workmanship, his creation. Then we don't have to be nervous about saying things like, I have issues. Because one of the reasons why we don't want to admit that we have issues is because we don't want to lose our standing in different relationships with people, with, with God, with our church community, with coworkers, whatever it might be. And so because we have this confidence of knowing where we stand with God, then we get to say, okay, so then let me talk about these struggles, these things that show up in my life on some sort of routine uh, process, this day-to-day -day life. What does it look like to, to acknowledge that things like pride and anger and envy, that they kind of cause issues in my relationships. They cause issues for me at work. And so uh, we have this list of the seven deadly sins we've been looking at. Pride, envy, wrath, sloth, greed, lust, and gluttony. And so we were spending a week looking at each one of these things. And, and what we talked about is that the seven deadly sins, sometimes people call them vices. They're things, they're not just an individual time when I was prideful, but they're kind of a category of, of sin, of struggles, of brokenness. It's a category that we wrestle with. And most people have one or two that are primarily issues for them. And then the rest of us, we just dip our toes in all of them. We're like, yeah, I'll take a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And we struggle with them in different ways. And so because we know that God loves us, because he has invited us into a relationship and he's given us the strength to be able to start overcoming sin in our life, we can defeat the power of sin in our life through him, then we can say, okay, well, I don't want pride to impact my marriage anymore. I'm, I'm tired of my pride getting in the way of my relationship. Because it does. It causes challenges. And so let me, let me work on that. I don't want to deal with greed. I don't want to deal with whatever these things are. And so today we are talking about something. This last week has been really crazy. Uh, a, um, I've had like three massive projects that I need to get done. In addition to that, 
I've got about a thousand other projects that need to get done. You guys know, you ever have that situation where it's like there's a, a few massive things and then obviously a never-ending list of other things that also just have to get done in the spare time. Plus, it's summer vacation and my children would like to be entertained for 20 hours a day uh, and with constant snacks. And, and I would like to do some things that are fun and I would like to relax also. And so there's all this stuff going on and, and I've got these three huge projects on my, on my list that I know I have to get done and, and all this different stuff. So do you guys know what I did? The thousand less important things. Have you guys ever done that where it's like you have stuff, it's like, man, I have got to get that done immediately. I'm gonna do this other stuff real quick. That is sloth. Sloth is not a word that we use a lot in our day-to-day conversation. And if I were to say, and in fact, I'll do this, on the count of three, I would love for you to all use a different word. If you can't say sloth, think of a different word that you would use to describe sloth. And so on the count of three, everybody just say it at the top of their, top of their lungs. One, two, three. Wow. First service, they only had one word, but you guys came up with like 10, like overachievers. Laziness is what a lot of people start to think of. Uh, you know, when you think of this word as sloth, procrastination is for sure something that I was just kind of referencing. This word sloth, it really, it touches on laziness, and that's a word that comes to a lot of people's minds, but that's not a really complete idea of sloth. You know, we, we try and think of uh, sloth or, or laziness as it's just people that, you know, they just lay around all day. They don't really do anything. Um, they wear a lot of pants that have, like, elastic waistbands. Like, there's just, like, this, like, that's what sloth is. You know, that's what laziness is. But that's not really a full picture. There, there's parts of that that could be true in sloth. But that's not really a, a full picture. Our culture, the world around us, especially here in the U.S., um, we kind of equate sloth with laziness or inactivity, um, but we also, we measure someone's worth by how productive they are. And so for many of us, we actually stay incredibly busy. We do a lot, even this week. I did a lot. It was not the things I was supposed to do, but I did a lot. I wasn't lazy, and none of us really would, I don't think that any of us would say, yeah, yeah, I struggle with laziness. Because the reality is, is we all have a ton of stuff going on. Have you guys ever had that scenario where you show up in the office on Monday and somebody's like, oh, what'd you do this weekend? And, and you realize you didn't really do anything. And so you start to feel like a little bit bad and you do this kind of thing, like, not much. And it's like, there's like a little like, am I bad for not doing anything? Because we have so much going on and so much in our schedules and sports and house projects and work and travel and family and whatever else, church. I mean, there's so many things going on that it's hard to really be lazy these days. Sloth isn't about laziness. It's about something a little bit different. So you may be asking, what is the definition of sloth? What is sloth? So here is the best thing that I could come up with. That's a joke, and I appreciate this part of the room. We don't have to watch the whole clip, it's fine. Here's the situation. I knew that nobody was gonna laugh at that, but I did it for me. Uh, so this is The Goonies. Have you guys, anybody watch The Goonies? You just don't like laughing, is that what it is? You don't like being happy? That's like the eighth deadly sin? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so sloth, the real definition of sloth is the avoidance of meaningful work. 
It's the avoidance of meaningful work. It's not laziness. It's just avoiding maybe the most important thing. It's avoiding the thing that really you should spend your time doing. It's avoiding the thing that needs your attention specifically now. It's avoiding meaningful work. The heart of sloth isn't laziness. It's avoidance or a refusal to engage we, we try and disengage from these things. We distract ourselves with other less important things. If something in a person who struggles with sloth, if, if something in their life isn't working the way they want it to, their impulse is either to do nothing or to do everything except for that thing that isn't working really well. It's like, you know what? I'm just going to leave it. It'll fix itself, surely. I'll just deal with that later. It's this movement towards engaging other things other than the priority. Sometimes it looks like inactivity. Sometimes it looks like you're being overactive in basically any other area, like my list of a thousand things. I did a lot. I was very busy. And, I and some of those things are important things, but I'm not going to lie to you guys. There's one thing that I did not finish this week because I did so many other things. I was avoiding this one thing. Sloth isn't laziness. It's, it's getting busy doing something that keeps you from doing what you ought to be doing. I have got to finish this paper. Let me watch the new season of Stranger Things. I have got to prep for this meeting at work tomorrow. Let's go out with friends for dinner and I'll just get up two hours early and get ready for the meeting, right? Never happens. It's this sense of, I know that I need to do this thing, but let me avoid it. Let me do other things that I, are not as big of a priority. Let me distract myself with other things. Slothful people may have a vision of who they want to be, but they resist the painful, the difficult process of growing, of taking those steps, of dealing with these things. And so it's not really about laziness. It's about, it's about avoidance. Uh, there's a Greek word that um, we, we talked kind of a few weeks ago. The, the seven deadly sins were come up by this group of monks called the Desert Fathers, which is just a, the coolest name in the world. But they, they had this word that they used for sloth, and it's a Greek word, and it's loosely translated, uh, or, or it's said, uh, akedia, and it means a lack of care. So it's not that you just don't care about anything. It's that there's a lack of care about something that you deeply should be caring about right now. It's there's something that you do not care about in this moment that you should be caring. There's something that you should be paying attention to, you should be working on. It's the idea of apathy or indifference towards this thing. Now, if you are here and you feel like, well, sloth is... You know, that is the, the struggle that I have. Out of that list of those seven things, this is the one for me. Or maybe you're just here and you're kind of like, yeah, I don't think I'm a slothful person, but there are certain things that I do avoid. There's a cuter term, rather than lack of care, rather than sloth, there's a really cute term that I think that we can all kind of get behind and maybe you could admit is your uh, preferred verbiage. And that, that phrase is hakuna matata. which obviously means no worries for the rest of your days. Uh, and, and whether you just saw the new version of The Lion King, whether you're, you, know, you remember it from years back, Hakuna Matata literally is this idea of, yeah, there's other problems going on, but I'm just going to do the things that I want to do. I'm just going to focus on the easy things. There may be problems in the pride land, 
but I'm all set over here. There may be things that require my attention that only I can do that I really should do, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sing with this warthog and you know, I'm going to do whatever. I'm going to watch Netflix. I'm going to go out to eat. I'm just going to go on vacation. I'm going to, whatever it is, I'm just going to, I'm not going to worry about those things. I'm going to do the other stuff. This is, this is really what sloth is. A textbook definition, some of these phrases may resonate with some of you guys. Feeling more connected to the characters in a show than your family members or coworkers. Pursuing only what you find fun. Mastering surfacy small talk. Staying busy to avoid introspection. An inability to sustain interest in, uh, interest in anything challenging. Being unreliable, letting others make choices for you, apathy, distractibility, ducking uncomfortable responsibilities, and going through the motions for weeks at a time. These are some of the ways that we would describe what sloth is. It's not laziness, it's just this avoidance generally of some of the things that are most important or most necessary in your life. And the sloth's greatest temptations, there's kind of two primary temptations for people that wrestle with this. One is escapism. It's, what else can I do besides this? It's, this relationship seems tough. I'm going to stop hanging out with this friend. I'm going to break up with this person. I'm going to find a different job because this one's hard. It's this sense of escaping that, that kind of pain or awkwardness or uncomfortable that we sit in. And then the second one, is despair, which is kind of this excuse of, it's never going to get any better. She's never going to understand me. He's never going to listen. They're never going to figure it out. It's, it's this idea of, since it will never change, it'll never get better, then I don't have to attempt to put any effort into it. I'll just do other stuff. This is, these are all things that come out of this kind of vein of slothfulness in our lives, the slothful people are stuck between a life that isn't working and a life that they don't want to have to work for. Because it's really easy to tell other people or to tell your kids, like, hey, not everything's just going to be handed to you. You're going to have to put in some effort. And then when we come into a situation where not everything's going to be handed to us and we have to put in effort, we're like, well, this isn't fair. I've put in effort other places. I shouldn't have to... There's this, there's this tendency of, and I, things aren't working the way that I want them to, but I also, I don't really have to put in the work for this. I don't want to have to put in the time. I don't want to have to have that conversation or set up that meeting or, or acknowledge this giant issue that I've been paying attention to everything but in my life. There's a passage in Proverbs, which is one of the wisdom books, Proverbs chapter 6. It says this, you lazy fool. I know you came here for encouragement. Uh, look at an ant. This is the message paraphrase. It's a little bit of a different version of the scriptures, but it says, you lazy fool, look at an ant. Watch it closely and let it teach you a thing or two. Nobody has to tell it what to do. All summer it stores up food and at harvest it stockpiles provisions. There's a sense that this, this ant, uh, he's talking about laziness, which again is just one aspect of, of slothfulness. But he's saying this ant understands the most important thing and it spends its time doing it. Nobody has to say, don't forget to make sure you have food. It knows this is of utmost importance, which is also 
something that I've never forgotten to have food. But there's just this, real, this reality that nobody has to tell it to do. And it takes the food that it needs. It doesn't take more than it needs. It's not a workaholic. It just does the thing that it needs to do because it knows it's of utmost importance. And then it goes on in verse 9. It says, so how long are you going to laze around and do nothing? How long before you get out of bed? A nap here, a nap there, a day off here, a day off there. Sit back, take it easy. Do you know what comes next? Just this. You can look forward to a dirt poor life. Poverty, your permanent house guest. It's like, chill out, right? <laughs> I deserve a nap here and there. You know, there's, this, there's a sense, but what it's saying is you are going to, we're tempted to avoid the hard things that we need to do. And at some point, we're going to have to pay the price for it. At some point, instead of choosing to deal with the difficult thing now, we're going to be forced to deal with it later. Instead of dealing with it on our terms, in our way, at our speed, it's going to pop up as a massive problem. Instead of engaging into the, the relationships that are struggling right now and say, hey, let's start to work on this. It feels like there's a distance, a gap, a challenge. You know, I'm, not, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to deal with that right now. You're going to end up in a more drastic position later that you have to deal with it. Instead of engaging in the work stuff or the habits or addictions or whatever the things are, there's this reality that when we choose to avoid, ignore, postpone the most important things, when we choose to be slothful in these areas, it will cause issues later that we will be forced to deal with. And it is never comfortable when we don't have a say in these things. For some of us, what we don't want to deal with is your job or your financial future. You have a credit card it seems to run every time you ask them to swipe it. And so you'll just deal with that problem when it stops being accepted. You'll just deal with that problem when you get one more letter in the mail saying they're going to send you to collections. It's, it's this thing of, I'll deal with that later. Or maybe in your career, there's these, these things for you that you're unwilling to take the hard steps in your office place or with your team, your management, whatever it might be, and you're unwilling to have these difficult conversations or take these steps to grow. We want to avoid that. Maybe for you, what you don't want to deal with is relationships with your kids or family or your marriage. And again, it's this thought, and just raise your hand if you have ever had the thought, I'll give it a few weeks. It'll probably settle down. Has anybody, it's like, yeah, that's basically how I've spent my adult life. I'll give it a few weeks, and then I'll give it a few more. In our relationships, we just like, it'll calm down. They'll get over it. We'll figure it out. We'll get on the same page. There's this avoidance of doing the hard things that we know we need to do. Maybe what you don't want to deal with is your health or your stress levels. But each one of us, there's an aspect of our lives that we are tempted, like the writer of Proverbs said, to sleep on. To just be like, ah, I'll figure that one out later. I'll push that off. I'll kick that ball downfield and I'll, I'll, I'll work on it another time. This is what slothful people do. This is what sloth is. And it's not that the slothful people aren't opposed to working hard on everything. It's just particular things. Because change is difficult. Transformation is difficult. Working on a marriage, working on a career, stepping into unknown territory, 
being introspective about the, the struggles, the brokenness, the sin, the, whatever these things are that we need to deal with, none of that is easy. It's, it's challenging things. In 2 Peter, uh, he actually writes kind of a, about this idea. He says, by his divine power, God has given us everything that we need for living a godly life. And by godly life, it doesn't just mean like holy, like singing in an angelic choir. A godly life is a full life. It's a life where you're at peace. It's a life of generosity. It's a life where you're loving and kind and patient with your kids at the end of summer and all these different things. Like this is what a godly life is. It's, it's the other stuff as well, but a godly life is a life that all of us would want because it's us at our best, which we all want to be at our best. He's saying, by his divine power, God has given you everything you need. He's already taken the first step. And then in verse 5, he goes on and he says, to achieve this, you will need to add, a.k.a. God's done his part. Now you have to do something. You have to do a little bit of work. You will need to add virtue to your faith and then knowledge to your virtue. To knowledge, add discipline. To discipline, add endurance. To endurance, add godliness, to godliness, add affection for others as sisters and brothers, uh, and to affection, at last, add love. So he says, essentially, God has given you everything that you need to be able to achieve this life and grow into this life that you really want for yourself anyways. But to do it, it's not just that God will do it for you. You can't do it without him, but he chooses to not do it without you. He wants to partner with you. And there's something that you and that I have to do in order to see this happen. And this list of things, endurance, discipline, patience, all of these are the things that slothful people hate most. These are the things that it takes for us to dig in and see change and transformation in our lives, our relationships, our mental health, our spiritual health, whatever, whatever the category might be. The prescription for your biggest problem is not waiting for God to change it for you. It's partnering with God to see that change happen. He's given you everything you need, and now you have to add some things. You have to put in some work. You have to look at this in the eyes. And ultimately, it's supposed to lead us to love. In other words, sloth has more to do with being lazy about love than it has to do with being lazy about work. Because love is broken into two primary categories. We love ourselves and we love others. And if I'm lazy about loving myself, then I will be tempted to avoid dealing with my health issues. If I'm lazy about loving myself, then I will be tempted to avoid and not have to deal with some of the habits or the addictions that I have. If I'm lazy about loving myself, it causes all kinds of problems. And if I'm lazy about loving you, then I'm not going to have the difficult conversations. I'm not going to lean into these uh, opportunities for growth that take something, that takes uh, a difficult decision to say, hey, let's have this conversation. Let's spend time. Let's carve out time to, to wrestle through these things. Sloth has more to do with being lazy about love than it does about work or how we spend our time otherwise. And it tends to see love of ourselves and as a, a love of others, it tends to see it as a feeling, not as a commitment. And I talk about this every time I meet with a couple about getting married, when I officiate weddings, I talk about this in a wedding ceremony. And one of the things I always say is that this, this love is based off of a committed love, not a feeling of love. 
because the feelings come and go. That may come as a surprise to you. You don't always feel like loving the people in your life. But when you get married, you're making a commitment to love them even when you don't feel it. You're making a commitment to do the hard things even when you'd rather do other things. You're making this commitment and, and slothful people, they, they see love primarily as a feeling and not as a commitment to consistently showing up. There's another word for this, a word that we are probably all familiar with, which is Maturity. And before you point to someone else that you think needs to be a little bit more mature or think of someone else that you think needs to be a little bit mature, there is a reality that we are all selectively immature about certain things in our lives. There are some things that each one of you and myself as well that we choose to not grow in. Like, man, I really got to get that under control some other time. I really need to figure that. I really need to work on this. I need to lean in. I need to, I need to get some help. I need to find a, a coach or someone that can, a mentor. I need to talk about these things with a, a life group or, or a pastor or a friend or whatever it might be. We are aware of these things that we need to see growth or maturity in, but we choose. We all have areas where we're like, yeah, I'll do that one later. I'll figure that out later. It'll fix itself. It'll work itself out. True growth True transformation, it's complicated and it requires us to restructure our priorities, to compromise our plans, to sacrifice our preferences. Put simply, becoming the best version of yourself requires work. And all throughout scriptures, especially in the New Testament, it talks about this work, this process of of becoming more whole and more... uh, accurately representing who God has created us to be. And there's a word, there's a big theological word that goes with this, and it's called sanctification. And it's a word, this idea of sanctification, it happens, we are sanctified when we put our trust in God, when we accept God into our lives, and then there's an ongoing process of being made new, which is what sanctification is. It's this, it's this being made holy and clean, and then there's an ongoing process of being made holy and clean. And I've used this example before. It's like when I got married, I became a husband, and then I have been learning how to be a husband ever since. When my son was born, I became a father, and I have been learning how to be a father ever since. When we put our trust in God, we are made holy and new, and we are learning how to be whole and new ever since that moment. It's this ongoing process of work, processing, uh, partnering with Jesus to become our fully realized self. So what do we do about this? Because slothful people or people that, that wrestle with this idea of sloth from time to time, how do, we, how do we do this? Because the temptation for us is to not focus on those difficult things, to avoid the most important things and, and do other things that maybe are important, but just less so. We've been pairing each one of these deadly sins with um, a beatitude. And the beatitudes are part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Um, and he gave these beatitudes, there's eight beatitudes, and he gave each one of them and said, this is, this is the best way to live. This is the, a blessed way, or this is a way to live that will bring you a sense of peace or wholeness. 
in your life. And as we've been looking at sin, like anger, pride, envy, all these different things, what we have realized is that it's not enough for me just to say, okay, well, I just won't be angry anymore. Thank you, Chris. Now I know that anger is wrong, and so I just won't do it anymore. We know it's not that easy. If we could just not be angry or not be envy or not, not, that's not a word. You know what I mean. Not be prideful. If we could just flip that switch, then we wouldn't need God. But there is this thing that we cannot do it on our own. And so it's not enough just to say, I don't want to do that anymore. But we have to choose, well, what am I going to do? How am I going to replace that with something else? Because it's a, it's a process and it's a journey. And so in Matthew chapter 5, one of the Beatitudes is, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. There's this, this sense of what Jesus is saying is that, you know, sloth is the, the addiction or the vice that many of us struggle with. And the counter virtue, the, the way to counteract that or fight against that is to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Righteousness is a great way of saying like wholeness or justice. It's, it's the way that it's intended to be. Here's the reality. We all hunger and thirst uh, we all also feed our hunger when we, whenever we want. And when we're talking about actual food and actual hunger, whether we're talking about the things that we desire most, we don't always choose the best things to fill ourselves on. I was at a birthday party yesterday for an eight-year-old. It was a pool party. It was so much fun. Uh, the high point for me was that they hired somebody to come in and make shaved ice. They paid this person to be there for two hours, and you could have unlimited shaved ice. It was a problem. Uh, and so I had more than I would like to admit on stage right now, and my kids obviously had more than I even know about, because there was like 40 kids, and they were all running around, and going in like the kiddie pool, and then the grown-up pool, and then the shaved ice stand, and everything, and and we were on our way home around like 7.30 last night, and uh, my four-year-old was sitting in the back of our car, and his car seat buckled in legally, safely, all those things. Uh, and uh, we're driving, it's quiet, and he's just like, my tummy hurts. And we're like, yeah, that's not surprising at all. Uh, but obviously, we're a little bit more kind, and so it's like, oh, I'm sorry, buddy. You know? And he's like, I think I had too much candy. I was like, yeah, I think you're right. Uh, I think that's exactly correct. And there's this reality that, you know, when you're hungry, when you're thirsty, you can have anything that you want. And usually you have the stuff that's easiest, the stuff that tastes good, that's closest to you. It's not usually the healthiest stuff or the things that are best for you. And the same thing is true, and what Jesus is getting at is the same thing that's true in our lives, and the same thing is true for people that wrestle with this vice of sloth, is that there is something that would be best for you to do, to focus on, to deal with, but instead you're going to fill yourselves, you're going to fill your schedule, you're going to fill your time with all of these other things. Like I did this week, instead of doing the massive projects, I did a thousand other things. Instead of my kids eating celery and peanut butter, like they do every other day of the week in my house, wink, wink, they had three, three bowls of shaved ice. They're filling themselves with these things that aren't going to help them feel better, to be healthy, to be whole. And this is the challenge that slothful people had. And this is what Jesus is inviting us to Instead of avoiding things and filling our time and our schedules and our minds with lesser things, to hunger and thirst for the best 
things, for righteousness, for the sense of fully becoming who God has intended for us to be, peaceful, loving, content, generous, kind, patient, all of these things. It's like, I would love to be those things. But instead of doing the hard work, oftentimes I settle for these lesser things. Jesus essentially is saying, don't live in denial, don't tap out, don't just do what's easy, but work towards these greater things. You're made to to fully step into your identity, and it's a process that takes time. So if that's something that you struggle with on a smaller scale or on a bigger scale each week, we've been trying to say, okay, so what are some practical things for for those of us that might feel like, man, I, I am not a slothful person except for this one category, except when it comes to bills, except when it comes to whatever the thing is. Some of us may be here and be like, man, this is a serious challenge for me in like every area of my life. And so I want to make sure that each week we give some practical steps. And so there's this ancient practice called stability of place, which already does not sound fun to any of you that wrestle with sloth. And really to anybody. But stability of place is this ancient practice. This is actually, you know how monks, when they, they become monks, they take vows. They take a vow of poverty. They take a vow of having bad haircuts and all these different things. They also take a vow of stability of place. And essentially what they're saying is that I am going to commit to being rooted in this place, in this community, uh, in these relationships, in this job, or in this whatever it might be. It's, it's saying, I'm not going to just leave when things are difficult, because like we said earlier, sloths are always tempted with escapism and despair. It's this commitment to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dig in. I'm going to stay. I'm going to be committed. I'm going to resist the temptation to run away from who I'm called to be and what I'm called to do. Because for each one of us, there's this really reliable cycle of what happens in relationships, in jobs, in all kinds of different areas. You start something new. Maybe it's a dating relationship. Maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's a new church. This happens all over the place. And there's a honeymoon phase where it feels like, man, this is wonderful. This room is dark and there's fans and, you know, there's like, it's whatever it is. These people are so kind and they all seem just really genuine or that guy or that girl, man, they don't have any flaws at all. I love everything about them. You know, this job is wonderful. I get paid exceptionally well and all the people in the cubicles around me are all awesome. None of them have weird quirks or make noises or anything like that. There's this honeymoon phase that we all go into and then at some point we start to see the cracks of, man, that that person's breath smells every day or uh, whatever it is. I mean, it's like, you know, you show up at a church and you think in the beginning, everybody is loving and kind and patient and so selfless and then you get a few months in and you're like, man, these people are problematic just like me and just like every other person in the world or you whatever these things are that the marriage the dating relationship we start to get past this honeymoon phase and we start to see cracks and we are tempted to leave to escape to say well this is too hard and I don't deserve this it's for sure their problem not my problem and so I'm going to take my toys to a different sandbox I'm going to find another job I'm going to find another person to date or another person to marry or I'm going to find another church where everybody is really loving and doesn't have any problems or brokenness. 
there's this temptation to pick up our stuff and go. And that's where stability of place kind of comes in. It's saying, no, I'm going to stay engaged and committed, and I'm going to be willing to have difficult conversations with my boyfriend or girlfriend or husband or wife or with my coworkers about dental hygiene, or with my church about some of the ways that I have felt hurt by them, or it's this commitment to digging in. And so we tend to blame others and say that it's other people's fault. They don't care about me, or they're not loving, or they're not accepting. But we are tempted to escape and to move into something else. And so the primary thing for us is to move from avoiding to av- from avoidance to uh, accountability, to move from being tempted to pick up our stuff and go elsewhere or tempted to ignore these things that we should pay attention to and, and instead of avoiding things, to choose to be accountable, which has got to be one of the least fun-sounding words that you could choose to be. Let's be accountable. This is the nature of healthy relationships. This is the nature of being a a healthy, mature person is being accountable. And so there's kind of four steps. The first would be to tell the right people everything. And this is a very important part, and I should have underlined it. The right people. Don't tell everyone everything because not everyone can be trusted. But you probably have someone in your life that you trust you may have a mentor or a coach. Some of us have counselors that we go to or a life group or a friend that you can be honest and you can share some of these things and, and tell them the things that you are avoiding, the things that you are terrified of dealing with. Tell the right people everything. The second step would be to identify where you need to grow. And it may feel obvious, but it's, man, it, it's not that I'm slothful with everything, but my marriage has been struggling and I, that's the thing that I need to figure out. Or I mean, it's not everything but my finances and it's just you know, staying on top of bills, paying them on time or, or whatever the thing is, but identifying that space. And it's not saying that you are going to be the best at that ever, but it's saying, no, I'm going to be intentional and healthy about how I start to engage this. And then the third thing would be to, to create consistency. If you identify the thing, maybe it's your marriage, maybe it's a friendship, uh, it would be saying, okay, so I have to figure out how to consistently care for, consistently engage this. So I have to have a date night once a week with my spouse or every other week. And we're going to go out. We're not going to invite. It's not going to be like a group date night. It's not going to be that we're just going to sit at a movie, but we're going to go and we're going to sit across from each other. We're not going to sit on the same side like some of those weird couples do where there's like same side sitters. We're going to sit, have to look at each other in the face and acknowledge that there are some things that we got to figure it out. Maybe it's serious things. Maybe it's not serious things, but it's consistently saying, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, instead of doing my budget once a month, I'm going to do it every single week. Instead of, you know, whatever these things are, it's creating consistency because if you don't pay attention and if you're not intentional, then you won't grow in these areas because it doesn't happen accidentally and you will continue to avoid it. And then the fourth one is absolutely a reference to Star Wars uh, and it is stay on target because the moment that you choose to get healthy, everything else will start feeling like it's falling apart. When you choose to start becoming healthy, 
other people are going to be really uncomfortable because they like the unhealthy version of you. Unhealthy you gives other people everything that they want. They know how to live in a world with unhealthy you. And healthy you is going to create boundaries. And you're going to make different decisions. And you're going to disrupt the routines. Other things are going to feel like they're starting to fall apart. But you have to stay on target, focused on, no, I am going to be committed to the most important thing. I am going to be like the ant that does the most important thing now because I know that I have to. And I'm going to choose to do it now instead of waiting to do it later. Uh, Nicole is here somewhere. I think it's too bright. But she used this phrase one time. It's better. The phrase that I was taught, I can't say because there's too many dog lovers in here. But she gave me an alternative phrase called swallow the frog, which is this idea of like, you're going to have to do this at some point. So just do it now. Do it now. Put in the work now so that you can work through. The, okay, you guys want to know what the one that I used to say is? I lost all of you. I didn't come up with this. Please don't send any emails to me. I had heard someone use the phrase, kill your puppies. I know, right? That's why I never said that phrase. Anyways, now I've lost it. It's all a... Swallow the frog. Do the hard thing. Say, I'm not going to avoid this thing. I'm not going to do everything else except this thing, but I'm going to stay on target because I can choose to do the difficult thing now or I can be forced to deal with it later on somebody else's terms, on somebody else's timeline. And so there's this invitation for us to have stability of place. And this is what I think Jesus is really, or one of the things that he's inviting us into is to stay committed to each other, and stay committed to him, and staying committed to growth, and becoming more whole. It's not easy. It's not convenient. But he has already given us everything we need. And so as we lock arms with him, whether that's through reading scriptures, or spending time in prayer, whether that's being a part of church regularly, or doing something like Discover, or joining a growth group, or something like that, it's this commitment of saying, okay, he has given everything that I need to become the best version of myself, of who I really want to be, and I am going to put in the work. I'm going to lock arms with him, and I'm going to see myself start to overcome these things that I've spent years or months or decades trying to avoid.